You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Lindsay Lord, CHRO at Team Car Care, DBA, Jiffy Lube. Lindsay, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. We had Dilshan on a few weeks ago. I think it was episode seven. And yeah. at the end of the call, we we ask every guest, what's one person that we should have on? And like literally immediately he, he goes, Lindsay Lord, you need to reach out to her. She's so awesome. So really excited to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Daniel. And I had the opportunity to uh, listen to the episode with Dilshan and it was really cool to, to hear him. We were colleagues and now we're close friends. So I know I personally got a lot out of listening to his insights during that call. And it was a surprise to me. So I really did. I listened from beginning all the way to the end. And I was driving. I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Really that he, he did that. So it was a really cool honor and surprise. So I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you. Daniel's right. Like usually there's at least like a few second pause. But you still have to think about it. He yeah. right away. Boom. He just said it. Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Okay, so we always do fun little icebreakers. So for today, I'm going to start a sentence, a sentence, and then I'm going to let you fill in the blank. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a Saturday afternoon, and you are doing what? Eating Mexican with my family. Love that's it. <laughs> very relatable. I eat, yeah, that's my go-to. Every every Friday evening or, or Saturday for lunch, I'm all Mexican food. That's always my go-to. Yeah, I love kind of a good late lunch, super early dinner on the weekends and kind of either go home and watch a movie with the family or get some rest. So we- uh, is, is there a go-to in Southlake that you guys love? Um, in Southlake, I like me cocina. You know, pretty pretty classic there, like a good mambo taxi. Um, of course, Joe T. Garcia's in Fort Worth is amazing too, especially when the weather's nice. I've been told it's amazing. I still haven't been there yet. Oh yeah, you got to make it down. It's it's worth the drive for you for sure. We'll check it out. Cool. So, uh, I know you've. So tell me, how long have you worked in HR? I started when I was in college. So wow. So oh. coming up on twenty years. That's amazing. Congratulations on 20 years. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, be, being in HR for 20 years, I, I imagine you must, you must love it. So tell us, tell us what you, what you love most about being in HR and what's kept you in it for so long. Yeah, that's a great, good question. How I got into HR was in college. I grew up waiting tables. I started waiting tables at age 15. So always, you know, working, I'm a, a first generation college graduate. So from a, a financing perspective, I was working to keep a roof over my head, to keep my tuition you know, paid and, and to put myself through college. But I think that taught me a lot at an early age and um, primarily that people are at the core of every single business. And I knew I wanted to do something in terms of people management, but then taking my first HR course in college, I, it just, it lit a fire under me just in terms of this, this is what I'm meant to do. And this is where I'm going to be. So it was a pretty cool experience. I think because I had that work experience coming into college, it really enabled me to have some real life experience to determine, you know, philosophically where I wanted to align myself as a leader. So you go to college, you take this HR course, lights a fire under you. 
Give me like the quick 30 second journey from college to today. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> if that's um, even possible. Yeah. Graduated. Um, the, the one thing that nobody really told me in college about HR is it's a long road in terms of getting that experience that you need. A lot of people don't want to hire a fresh college graduate because a big part of HR is judgment and decision-making, and you mm. just don't have that experience in many instances. So it was a little bit of a letdown, I, um, but I, I, I stayed true to the fact I wanted to remain in the function. It took a little bit of time. You know, I had to take some interim assignments within HR departments for a good six months. And then finally, I landed with a, a world-class HR organization, which was Hilti, a power tool company in Tulsa. And from there, I parlayed my experience uh, into Pepsi, which is a best-in-class program as well. And I think kind of after that, the rest was history just in terms of progressing in my career and increasing roles and responsibilities. Thank you for, uh, for taking me through that as quickly as you could. <laughs> so, so now, you know, fast forward 20 years and you're at Team Car Care DBA Jiffy Lube. Did I say that right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do. We are the largest operator of Jiffy Lubes across the nation. So we have um, over 500 stores, approximately 5,000 teammates. And really our mission is to be the most trusted car care uh, provider in America. So we help people. We help people with their number one, you know, most expensive asset in many cases, which is their car. And the essential, you know, the essential activity of transportation, getting to where you need to be, getting to work, getting to loved ones. And, and we help people with that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, you have obviously have a ton of experience. You've worked with amazing brands that had amazing HR, really reputable programs. And I, uh, in terms of the way they approach human resources, human capital, whatever you want to call it, so I'm really excited about diving into our questions today. The other reason I'm excited is because this, for this particular conversation, we had the ability to connect with someone that has worked with you, that knows you well, personally and professionally in Dilshan. And not long after we confirmed that you were going to be on this show, I had a conversation with Dilshan and, you know, Dilshan's a great storyteller. And so he shared the follow he shared the following with me. Oh no. Uh, I'm, he I'm said, scared. <laughs> that is good. This is good. This is good. I, I'm gonna need you to your help unpacking it a little bit though. So he said, you sell your product and not not you, Lindsay, but just in general, you sell your product to markets. Leaders and teams need to understand how to connect the people component to marketing and delivering or executing in the market. It sounds simple, but it's really difficult. Not only do you have to align people and product, but you also have to operationalize this process. And Lindsay is an expert at this. Lindsay has a keen sense for how to align the employee experience with the business. And I love that. It's awesome. Um, so what are your thoughts on what <laughs> Dilshan had to say? Yes, there's... There is complexity in the role, but there's a lot of simplicity at the end of the day. The people are the, the individuals that create that guest experience. So if we focus on you know, our teammates and their experience, that is what transcends into an awesome guest experience every single time. In terms of you know, 
marketing, I really do think that it's it's an opportunity for us from an employment value proposition. So we actually do a really excellent job at training and developing at the teammate level. And I can, you know, we have a 25% internal promotion rate, but I can tell you, you know, all of our leaders started in the store changing oil and they've been able to, through their employment journey, you know, it changes their lives. It changes their families' lives when you go from being an hourly teammate to a general manager, to a district manager, to a regional manager. And we allow and, and give our teammates that opportunity to do so through the development opportunities that we provide them with. So for us, we wanted to, I think we've been very humble about what we do and how we change people's lives as, as a brand. So we're really having to reposition ourselves and get better at employment branding, especially in this war for talent, just to tell people why, you know, this is a great place to work because it, it is a war for hourly talent right now. It, it really is. And you, you make it sound so simple, like Dilshan, you make it sound so simple, but it, that journey that you just described, that journey, it, a lot of companies are failing at that. I think that there's a lot of companies that are getting it right, but there are also a lot of companies that, that are failing at, at nailing that journey and having that, that, that natural, um, I guess, progression of one's career and retaining so many people that from from within you're promoting from within to very very senior ranks and so is there a playbook of sorts like how how do you how have you honed the skill of of developing that that journey is it a packaging of sorts it is it um it, i think really at the core of it is employee engagement and engagement really centers around understanding what your purpose is in the organization um, and, and having very clear role clarity. And I think that that's something that we do incredibly well, better probably than any place I've, I've ever worked before. We did an employee survey and 90 plus percent of people know exactly what's expected of them and why the work that they do is important. So I think that that is why we've been able to do what we've done in terms of the promotional opportunities that we've created the quality of training too, and, and you know, the, it's computer-based, but it's also standard operating procedures, daily observations, so the rigor, cadence, and accountability that we've built into our system to ensure that we, you know, provide a repeatable process that's, if you follow the process, it works, it's safe, it's, um, you know, keeps our teammates safe, keeps our guests safe. And there's a lot of steps associated with that, so I think we've nailed that piece really well, but the journey for us to continue to evolve is going to be just to continue to ensure that our leadership training is up to par because mm-hmm. anytime you're promoting at that rate internally, we have to kind of take a step back and ensure that they understand not just the operational skills, but the soft skills and how to transition from an individual contributor into a leader. And oftentimes, you know, you're with your peers. And then how do you make that change in your style to going from peer to you know, leader to, to teammate experience. Yeah, I love it. And and so you mentioned employee surveys. Are there other data points? I mean, it, it sounds like you're leveraging data to a certain degree to, to drive what you're designing and, and how you know, you know, if it's working or not. Uh, can you right. can you elaborate a little more on that? We have a lot of, uh, our audience is full of people that love data. So that's why yeah. I'm drilling in this a little bit. I, yeah, I, I, I like to geek out on data and, and correlations. 
I think in terms of building our HR model and, and, and how we've been here, 18 was really a year that we were focusing on building the right foundation. So putting the right people in the right positions and role clarity, um, ensuring that we were building the HR function to have the business in mind. Um, we'll kind of skip past 19. 2020, I think, was an emergency response year. Uh, 2021, though, is really going to be the year of anticipation through data and analytics. We're going to step up our game and, and go beyond just reporting the news in terms of retention, turnover, employee satisfaction. We want to really start to make compelling correlations of why is it that in this particular store, we're noticing a pattern that teammates are leaving at 90 days or we're having trouble with the vacancy rate in the store. Are we not attracting the right you know, candidate pool for those stores, just as an example, or if there's any other interesting insights in terms of rewards or uh, benefit plans that people are utilizing versus not utilizing. So we've got a lot of interesting things up on the board. And I think once we start to measure all of those things, then we'll be able to start to draw some correlations and see which measurements are actually impacting them. And yeah, we had a session on HR trends for 2021 and data and analytics was a big one, just coming on the, on the back of such a tough year in 2020, you know, the need to have that data-driven approach, I think is really, really important. How do you do that with a multi-unit business? Do you, um, and, and sorry if I'm going into too much detail here, but I know yeah. that that with the multi-unit business, which I believe Jippy Lube is, you know, you could, is that a good way of describing? Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. So um, I know that, you know, I've worked with multi-unit businesses and it's almost like individual businesses within yes. the business and it like it's, it's so much more challenging. Yeah. So how it are you guys hard. managing that? I'm just curious. Um, we have looked at data really from the regional level in the past. And I think that that is helpful. And you do see some really interesting correlations in terms of different regions having different results from a, a people analytics perspective. But we want to take that again to that next step. Why? You know, why is that? Why is it that the Southwest metrics look like this versus the Southeast? Is it a leadership differentiation? Is it a, um, you know, the demographics of our teammates and, and their sentiment and their experience in the workplace? And if so, what's driving that? Is that at the leadership level or is that other factors that we haven't taken into consideration? Is it that, you know, they have a closer commute to work and that also lends to a higher satisfaction rate? We've got, you know, some interesting theories, but we, we want to prove those out in 2021. 20, yeah. And for those that are just starting a data-driven approach, you know, do you have any, you know, what, what do you think a good starting, starting place is to implement something like this? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think you, you've got to start with the basics, right? You've got to, um, your basic people analytics. What does your workforce look like? How many people are you hiring in a year? What's your retention rate? What's your turnover rate? Where are your turnover hotspots? And then I think from there, you can kind of do the double click down into different correlations that you can find to understand what's driving those outcomes. Please don't be overwhelmed because I think you've got to start with the, the simplistic metrics to understand your workforce before you go deeper into insight. Yeah, I'm a big believer in keeping it simple when you're getting started. So switching gears a bit, it sounds like you've worked with a lot of, oh, sorry, go ahead. Dan. No, no. So I just wanted to ask about something that, that Lindsay mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, 
and it was on the topic of, of providing training and development for, for all levels of employees. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned that everyone starts at the store level and there's a promotion track, right? You have, I think the number you gave was a 25% internal promotion rate. So do you lay out a path for, for employees and tell them, Hey, if you do these trainings, you can work your way up from a store employee to a general manager, to a district manager, to a regional manager. And I'm just curious what the different training looks like for, for each step, depending on where somebody is in that progression. Yeah. So we, um, I was so intrigued by the promise of the opportunity here and, and kind of like what I said, how you can start as an hourly teammate and within less than two years, you know, be at a, a general manager or even district manager level if you're a high achiever. So I, I whiteboarded this road and, and kind of just started the path. And the first kind of entry point is automotive technician. And what are the trainings required in order to be certified? And then, you know, you go into a customer service advisor. What does that look like? How long does that take? And then what is the kind of average compensation increase you get at all these different pathways uh, leading into management, you know, what's required. So we have a visual um, that shows very clearly what that roadmap looks like. And we've got thousands of examples of people who have followed that road path or that, that pathway. We have it at a high level and we show it during um, new hire orientation. And when we have, you know, career conversations with our employees and you know, where do you want to get on this roadmap? Um, and then there's of course other opportunities and training or the support center, um, you know, special assignments and opportunities that we can provide as well. But I do kind of like the simplicity of these are the core positions in the store. So, you know, where do you want to go? And, and we'll show you the path to get there. Um, I think, you know, that's pretty unique to, to us and unique to uh, probably multi-unit retail, but I do think we've done an excellent job in, in articulating how to get there and, you know, creating excitement in the employment value proposition that we provide. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that would keep, that would keep so many employees or, or teammates motivated, right? Um, here's this career path, potential career path that I can take. And, uh, if corporate's telling me if I t do these trainings and if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be eligible for promotion and yep. then maybe in two years, I'm a store manager, general manager, whatever. Um, I could see that how, how that would definitely keep people motivated. Well, yeah. especially, especially if the company is putting, you know, the mo their money where their mouth is. Right. So if they're actually, if as a, as a, an employee, I'm seeing like a promise is being made to me, like, Oh, here are these tracks you have. If I can actually see people like navigating and moving through those tracks, then it's like the culture, th that's the culture of the business. And I can really double down on my commitment. And so I think the, in, in, I, I, what are the, the biggest challenges in, in living up to that? Are there like specific at the, at the store level? Have you found any challenges or some stores are able to do it better than others? Like, uh, I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a great question. How you guys deliver on that promise? Yeah. So in terms of going from an automotive technician to a customer service advisor, I mean, that those are certifications. So it's, it's really knowledge based and then demonstration of a, a competency. So we can pretty clearly say, you know, you didn't meet the requirements because you didn't pass this module or you, you we, during your um, observation checklist, you know, we need to work on these things and, and continue to, to coach them into success. I think that it gets a little bit tougher at the management ranks um, because just from a, um, 
I don't know, not, not every individual contributor necessarily um, can make that gap to management with the tools that we have in hand. Many can, if they have the desire to do it and they live by our company values and they believe in our mission, we can train on that. We can train, you know, we can train people that are high integrity, that believe in excellence, that follow our processes. If, if you have kind of those key elements, then you will be successful. But I think that that, that would be the point where it's a little bit harder um, in, in certain instances is when, when you're talking about individual contributor to, to leadership roles. So that how, makes, that how do sense. you... How do you identify those individuals? Yeah, it's a great question. So we have um, depth charts in the stores where we list kind of the roster of the stores and it shows um, by individual, you know, uh, their level of proficiency and their training and which positions they're certified to be in on the floor. And then beyond that, you know, you, ha- you, you talk about their readiness for the next role, uh, if they're a flight risk, um, what that next role might look like. So it really helps us map out uh, the health of the talent within each store, any gaps that we have, and then of course staffing needs that we need to anticipate in the future. Gotcha. So, sorry, sorry for derailing the convo. <laughs> no, it's good. I think that was a good that was a good sidebar. But you know, switching gears, switching gears a bit because there, there's still a lot I want to get through, and then I'm going to hand back over to Daniel. <laughs> uh, so. It sounds like you've worked in businesses with frontline employees or kind of field employees, um, and you've worked with businesses that have corporate style employees. Is that right? Or have you been mainly? Yep. Okay. And Yeah, I've been very industry agnostic. Yeah, both frontline, hourly teammates, and and yeah, blue or white collar, blue collar, and everything in between, union, non-union. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, yeah, I, we will, I won't even take us into to union because that's a whole beast of its own. But yeah. in my experience, there's a really big difference between the two, like, you know, businesses with kind of field or frontline employees and then more corporate, uh, white collar, blue collar, whatever you want to call it. And so from, um, from your experience sitting in the CHRO seat, you know, what, um, what's the biggest challenge or what's, what's the biggest difference, I should say, between the two and, and which do you prefer and why? Um, I think that from a noble purpose standpoint, I really enjoyed the assignment because it, you know, with the hourly teammates, because oftentimes we're their first employer and we have the opportunity as leaders to, to change people's lives. And we get to see that on a firsthand basis. We, we not only are teaching them a skill that they otherwise never would have had, you know, we're teaching them how to repair um, and do automotive services, estimating customer service, leadership. So when, when they leave us, if, if, if they decide to graduate from Jiffy Lube and pursue another opportunity or perhaps go to college, we have rounded them out and, and taught them some life skills and, and technical skills as well. So I, I find that incredibly rewarding. Um, you know, I enjoy tech too, because it's fast paced and innovation and technology is really sexy and exciting. So I like them for different reasons, but I, I, I feel in this role, there's the opportunity to serve a, a more noble purpose. Yeah, I think that I, I just wanted to to highlight that a bit because I think in HR there is this um, there's some industries that are viewed as sexier yep. than other industries, and I sometimes feel like as HR practitioners we can limit ourselves in terms of you know, the opportunities or career paths. 
And I personally have worked in a lot of like not sexy um, industries and, um, you know, like, or, or things that just wouldn't at the time wouldn't have been my first choice. And it's just what the, I, I was dealt the hand that I got. And so I, you know, came in through accounting and HR and accounting. And then I went into like global mobility part of <laughs> HR, which is not a sexy part of HR and, uh, or historically hasn't. And then I went in, you know, to financial services. And so now I, I've come kind of come, you know, full circle and work in a completely different space that is serving. And we have a lot of clients that are, you know, what you would not, you know, that, that make faucets, right. That, um, like Holt is, is one of our clients and, you know, that it's like heavy machinery. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that, um, you know, some of the challenges that we face in working with our clients that are in these kind of not, you know, what, what may be labeled as not sexy um, has been, you know, hugely rewarding for me. And so I, I'm happy to hear what you're sharing, because I think as a new breed of practitioners comes up, um, I, I'm, I'm, I always kind of, you know, suggest to my mentees, like, you should be exploring all the opportunities out there. Yes. Yes, completely agree. I mean, I, that approach has certainly worked for me in terms of when I've looked for opportunities or accepted opportunities. Um, look at the health of the business. Is it an essential business? And then culture fit, values alignment, you know, is, is certainly important as well. But at, that has served me well, not closing myself off to any industry, I think has made me a much more well-rounded practitioner than if I would have tried to just stay in the sexier spaces. <laughs> I, I get it. And so zeroing in on the kind of higher purpose or kind of the, uh, I guess, the, the, the notion that you, the joy that you get from working with uh, companies that have kind of field frontline employees, you know, what have you learned in your roles around emp empowering frontline employees specifically? Because that is, that is a little different. And I'm just curious, you know, what are some of, you know, your takeaways or lessons learned about that? You know, it, it's incredibly important that you have a very clear set of values and a mission so that there are very clear rules of the road, but you should empower your employees to serve the guest and to make decisions in the moment that are in the betterment of the guest within certain parameters that, that you know, live up to our values. So that was really the first thing that we started with is aligning ourselves around values that would guide all of our decisions and our behaviors. And that's incredibly important. And if you go to any of our stores, you'll see our posts have our values, but it was important that it wasn't just hokey artwork. So we <laughs> had to ensure that it came together for our leadership team and our district managers and our values form the word um, right or the acronym right. It's R-I-T-T-E because we added a T for teamwork. <laughs> um, but every single leader of our company could tell you what our values are. And most of our teammates will be able to decide what our values are too. And, and we just, you know, model our behavior in that way. And it's, I've never seen a company do as good of a job as we've done to really bring those values to life and talking about them on a daily basis, which is pretty cool. So I think that's how you do allow autonomy in the stores is by giving them really a, a North star and a compass that um, helps them, you know, shape their behaviors. Right. I love that. It's super catchy. So what do you think about this statement? Um, well, do you agree with the statement that happy employees equal happy customers? Is that oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean, we've all had terrible 
guest experiences <laughs> mm -hmm. that uh, we can remember. And, and they largely probably were never centered around a, a happy teammate. So, yeah, I mean, uh, when, when you're coming in to get your car service too, not probably your favorite thing to do. So it could feel like somewhat of an inconvenience, but if we can make that a delightful experience, make it a quick experience, an efficient experience and an educational experience, I think that's what truly drives our guest satisfaction. Yeah, it's like for some reason for me going to, I feel powerless when I'm going to get my car service. I feel like I'm not a handyman. And so yep. I feel like going in that I'm already at a disadvantage and there's like this huge trust factor um, that as a, as a customer, that a barrier that I need to get over. And so I could see that, that, that I, I love that, that in, in one of the quotes that Daniel found was um, if your employees aren't happy at work, I think this is from, from an article you wrote or contributed to, if your employees aren't happy at work, they won't passionately serve the customer as we should. We right. had to start with our people first in order to transcend that guest experience. I love this. I'm, I'm guessing, you, again, you make it sound so easy and then it, then it probably was to, to do that. Can you share a little more about how you've approached that, that, that customer-centric experience or that, that customer-centric approach to um, you know, engaging your, your employees around your, your mission? Sure. Well, I think the first thing is we needed to listen to our teammates and understand how they felt at work and what pain points they had. And, and one of the things that we heard loud and clear was affordability of their medical care. Um, you know, general managers who, you know, couldn't afford to um, accept benefits on our plan because the, the expenses were so high. So we invested in the affordability of our medical plans and um, reduced the premiums by up to 50% for our teammates while increasing the quality of care. So I think that's a huge human capital win to really think about when you're designing healthcare plans, who is your end user? What are their essential needs? How are their you know, design plan changes to maybe simplify the plan or you know, in-network providers, uh, premium designation providers? How can you move some variables to lower premiums so that people can afford to go to the doctor's office or $0 co-pays for children so they can keep their family healthy because that's what really matters to teammates that, that have um, children and, and family members on the plan. So we redesigned our plan with that in mind, and, and that's allowed us to retain our employees just to make a better total rewards picture. We also invested in redesigning the store level bonus plan. So it's more rewarding and it's simplified. There's three key measures that our teammates are measured on, and they can understand it very clearly. They know what their goals are, and if they achieve those goals, you know, from a pay transparency perspective, there's not some weird gonculator, you know, behind the scenes and they're yeah. guessing um, at, at what their bonus might be. So I think that that's been incredibly helpful. And then we invested in adding a lot of district management and regional management positions to ensure that we had the right span of control so that people, that we had the opportunity to, to lead people and not kind of just never get to the scores or not really have any rigor or, or accountability around how we're leading and, and visiting our stores. So I think to, to kind of back up and answer the question that, that, you know, investing in the teammates, investing in the leadership, 
understanding what the was painful for the teammates or what they didn't like about working here and trying to create a plan to address those things and invest in, in, in our businesses, how we went about it. So it, it, it sounds like you identified these opportunities for improvement through, was it a survey or what, what did that look like? Listening. <laughs> oh, literally just, you know, go focus groups. having real conversations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Getting in and, and listening, listening to our leadership team. You know, they, they have their ear to the ground and understand what's important to the field. Um, you know, our CEO did a listening tour, you know, during that time as well, and kind of came back with a lot of those insights. And then certainly every time I visited the field would get, you get an earful when you visit our stores. That's what's great. Or people aren't shy. You ask them what's That's on their awesome. mind, what they like, what they don't like, you will get their opinions, which is great. So it's, you know, easy to really, uh, get that data. And then it's, it's harder to take action against it because it does require investment, but, um, the investments that we've made, it certainly paid off and helped build our employment brand. That's so awesome. my, my last question. So it sounds like you put a, a lot of importance on relationships. I mean, you're going all the way down to kind of the field level, the, the, the store level. Um, you know, how, you know, what, what advice would you give HR practitioners earlier in their career around creating, you know, sustainable relationships or just how to approach these relationships uh, with their clients or with the business? Yeah, from my level, I think it was understanding how HR was built. And when I first came here, it was completely centralized and there was no field HR. So uh, we rebuilt it to a high impact HR model, which included putting business partners in the field to work alongside with the leaders to help with the talent strategy, but just their overall strategy too. They're, they, they just so happen to have an HR cap that they're a leader in the business as well. And kind of by having that deployment of HR in the field, we can ensure that the teammate voice is heard by you know, being arranged in that way. So speaking of, of relationships, I noticed something cool that you do on LinkedIn is give shout outs to different team members. And, and I'm just curious, what, what other activities or, you know, programs do you have in place for, for recognizing employees for the great work that they're doing? That's a really good question. So, um, we have, we, we do not have like an internal communications department. And I think that that's something that, um, a lot of CHROs will not have the luxury of having that maybe if you're coming up in HR, you've got working for a big company and there's a comms department, all that stuff just happens and all that content just gets pushed out on a schedule and it's curated in advance. So it's been an effort to kind of play that role as well and be planful about it. So we, we've certainly gotten a lot better. It's funny, I was printing this out earlier um, just to see what's coming, but I've created a roadmap just in terms of monthly themes from a, a training um, and development monthly calm themes for health and wellness, and then, um, you know, external facing communications that are themed, you know, based upon DNI initiatives or just areas that we want to focus on. So I guess your little roadmap is <laughs> I like that. To do it from a bare bones. And I, I, I certainly think that this can evolve. Um, I've also challenged my team to curate content as well. So we've given them some different topics and we're going to do a blog. So we're getting better at it. We're certainly not perfect, but I'm proud of um, how we've, you know, put together some 
some recognition based upon just monthly themes, you know, and, and just being creative with it. So you briefly mentioned DEI. And one thing that caught my eye in that article, you mentioned that you that 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 your company is investing in training focused on how to be an inclusive leader in a modern yeah. era. And you mentioned that there has been training that's been focusing on um, creating an environment that is free of bias, racism, sexism, stereotyping, and other discriminatory actions. Could you could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we actually invested in this in 2018. So I, I, I think all of the companies, we are, you know, there's been a, a wake up call in 2020 with um, you know, the, the horrific acts of violence that we saw across the nation. Um, so I, I, I'm proud of the, to say that, you know, this wasn't a reactionary measure. We, in order to be successful, you know, we have to welcome people to, to come as they are and harness their full potential working at our store. And we welcome everyone. And in order to, to do that, you really do have to educate the managers on exactly what that means and exactly what that, you know, doesn't mean and, and how to work within uh, a modern era. So we pushed the envelope just in terms of the, the level of training that we provided and, and invested in. Um, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't cheesy, it wasn't pokey, that it was real, you know, based upon real life interactions so that they could feel what that feels like in the moment and then be equipped with ways to respond in real time on a shop floor um, to, to navigating around some of those um, difficult conversations or just you know, being prepared beforehand. And we got a excellent feedback from it. The managers want more of it. They, you know, what's the next chapter? When do we get more of that? Um, lots of buzz, you know, talking about it in the field when we go out into the field. People, you know, proud of the fact that they've taken the training and, and like to talk to other people about, you know, what they've learned. So it's been cool to watch. If, did you guys have to, you know, it, it, was there any effort to kind of define what diversity, equity, and inclusion means specifically for, for Jiffy Lube? Um, is there... You know, what, was there anything, what were the steps that, that led to, to the actual training? Yeah. Um, this is a hot topic right now. And so we have a lot of, you know, we get a lot of inquiries and questions around, you know, just DEI, how to get started, what to do for companies. Yeah. And so any advice you could provide, I think would be, well, would be great to hear. Our workforce is 54% diverse. So we are wow. diverse. And, you, you know, that's why I said it's incredibly important that people can be their authentic self at work and that leaders know how to, you know, foster that inclusion and, and not allow any form of racism or discrimination while leading in our stores. So how we got started, though, is um, we formed a charter and we have cross-functional leaders that are on our advisory board. It's really important that there's, you know, leaders in the support center, functional expertise, but also leaders in the field that aren't just doing this for fun, but they're doing it because they're passionate about it. And they really do want to have their fingerprint on the, the DEI agenda and, and the future agenda for our company. So I think that charter, and then, like you said, just role clarity and definition, you know, where we're going to focus, what we stand for as a company and what we don't stand for. And then senior level executive sponsorship. This can't mm. be you know, yeah. just something that we're doing in a vacuum and has to be part of our overall strategy. There has to be buy-in from, from the top of the house or you won't succeed. So that's, that's been key for us. Got it. 
Awesome. So, so yesterday was International Women Day, and yep. uh, I saw a ton of amazing posts on LinkedIn. You know, people shouting out all of the women that have inspired them in their careers. And you know, it's a shame that it's just reduced to one day where we're celebrating women. Yeah. It should be every day. I think and we're it- gonna make it the full month because we didn't yeah. get. Everything yeah. done yesterday and one day, you know, that we wanted to. So my girlfriend requested a, a foot massage. She was like, "It's International Women's Day. You got to give me a foot massage." I was like, All right, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But yeah, no, it it really made me reflect on all of the strong women in my life. It made me think about my mom, who uh, had a 17 year, you know, career in business, owning, running a business, and how that, you know, inspired me as a little kid. I would go to work with her as a seven, eight, nine-year-old during the summer, it was an assisted living that she owned. And yeah. to this day, that's impacted, you know, me and inspired me and made me want to be, you know, eventually an entrepreneur. Um, and then, you know, I think about my girlfriend who is a machine learning engineer and it's a, you know, a male dominated um, industry being, a, being in tech. And yeah, so I, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm sure that you've had some really amazing women that have impacted your career, and we thought that that maybe you could you could shout some out and give us some names and talk about how they've they've shaped your career. Oh, absolutely, um, without a doubt. I mean, um, I think Lisa Johnson at Pepsi. She took a chance on me. I didn't really have the traditional um, credentials, you know, coming into into Pepsi and in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, so that that definitely. Uh, comes to mind, um, Maria Naliwako, CHRO uh, for Logic, that um, you know uh, did a lot of great things for me in my career and provided me with new perspectives, you know, and how to evolve and think about things differently um, as I was kind of reaching different levels within my career. Um, and honestly, I'm just inspired by our female workforce here. There's many strong, courageous women, you know, in a male dominated workforce that are doing fantastic things, achieving outstanding results, thinking about things a little bit differently, you know, and, and how they're improving the guest experience. Women are, are naturally really good at explaining things and being um, consultive in, in their approach. They're not overbearing. So um, Stephen, as you described, that you nailed it and that people kind of feel like they're surrendering you know, there's, there's uh, apprehension to have your car worked on and trust is the number one factor. So our female uh, GMs and customer service advisors do an excellent job in terms of gaining trust with our customers. So we've got an initiative to um, get more <laughs> females on our team because there is a hurdle in that um, a lot of females don't, you know, aspire to, to be in the automotive services industry. So how do we crack that code of you know getting more into the pipeline, but then encouraging the ongoing development and leadership path specifically for females at Team Car Care is what we'll be focused on in 2021. Gotcha. So I'm just curious, you know, some of the names you mentioned, when you think about those leaders, um, I'm just wondering, are there any hallmarks or, or traits of those leaders that that made them such um, great leaders that, that you wanted to learn from? All very um, data-driven and, um, you know, obsessed with understanding the business and being a business leader and not an HR tactician, I would say is a common theme. Um, and, you know, 
all just really excellent sounding boards for me at different junctures in my career in terms of understanding if I should pursue different opportunities or giving me the gift of feedback um, as I was trying to continue to develop and in my leadership style. So I think, yeah, just data-driven, candid, but also I think um, like this, I, I would consider them all modern HR uh, practitioners. Something that Dilshan and I have in common is um, tacticians. You know, they are important in certain aspects, but in terms of HR leadership and modern HR leadership, you really want to try to um, automate some of that, that tactical stuff and really design HR to be there for the business and design with the business in mind. And, you know, as you've risen through the ranks over your career, you know, now you're the CHRO, were there, were there any challenges along the way um, being a, a female executive or um, just curious? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, I think- Daniel. Great. <laughs> you went in. I love it. I was so a little like, nervous to ask that question. Not yeah, you hesitated, but you got it. Um, yeah. Um, probably for me, the biggest challenge was navigating motherhood. Um, being an incredibly ambitious, uh, driven, you know, female that was um, very focused on my career. I was, I was worried. How is this going to impact my career? How am I going to be? Um, a focused executive, a devoted mother, you know, good wife and, and everything in between. Um, and I struggled with that. I, uh, I came back from maternity leave really early because I was struggling with the guilt of being away from work. Um, I, when I got back to work too, I struggled with, um, the being, I felt guilty when I was at work and then I felt guilty when I was at home and, and, and it was tough for me. Um, I think as my daughter got a little bit older and kind of out of that babyhood and once I was sleeping at night (laughs) (laughs) and starting to find balance and starting to have routines and and then um, finding um, reliable, you know, healthcare that I, or or childcare that I didn't worry about her during the daytime. Once all of those stars started to align, things fell into place for me. And I think with motherhood, it's, it's messy, it's unpredictable. But if you have, I think if you focus on the quality time, you know, with your child and that time on the weekend, I, I really do devote to her. I think that kind of helps you to strike a little bit of a balance. Um, but, you know, Daniel, what you said in terms of admiration and, and respect, seeing your mom work hard, that's, that's my goal too, is that maybe, you know, I wasn't there every single morning or, you know, right after school, but we have quality time when we're together and hopefully she'll see, you know, what it looks like to, to be a strong female executive and hopefully that'll inspire her in the future. Do you think, do you think we have a bit of a crisis on our hands right now with, you know, COVID and everything that's happened? I've, I just seen recently, you know, obviously I read the news a lot and the numbers are pretty staggering in terms of the impact that, that the pandemic has had on women specifically in the managerial level, you know, those that are, in the managerial phase of their career and are also, you know, have families. Yeah, we absolutely are. I think it, um, unfortunately, I've read statistics that it does, you know, set back um, women representation in the workforce and even wage parity. So I do worry about that. Um, But I think uh, companies have to be 
as flexible as possible during this time. If, if there's flexible work arrangements, if there's ways that we can do the work differently, or if, if there's even, um, you know, time off that can be extended or taken, um, that that's what we have to do because we are in a, in a national crisis. So that's, that's what I would encourage people to do. But then, you know, as, as things start to hopefully get back to normal to really open up some, some reemployment programs targeting women who had to take a sit, you know, a, a timeout to uh, balance those unpaid tasks that um, have a disproportionate assignment um, to, you know, female gender identities which is tough. I mean, I think that that's been more pronounced um, for anyone, you know, that's raising children in this pandemic is the online learning disproportionately has fallen into, you know, the, the female kind of assigned role. Um, so I think also as males, you know, if, if, if you, uh, you know, play a, a family role to be aware of that and to try to balance that a little bit better so that it isn't disproportionate in, in your household to the degree possible. Did you hear that, man? We all need to we all need to step it up and take on <laughs> take on our share of the responsibility. Well, thank you. And I do as a, as a co parent and as a father of two daughters. You know, it's yeah. Uh, I I do everything I can, but it, it it's a struggle. The struggle is real, and so I think I am um, sorry for for in, injecting myself in your your no. line of questioning, Daniel, because it's just something that I that I worry about. You know, we talk about especially, you know, the timing of, of International Women's Day, we talk about a lot, so much progress has been made. And then here we are, you know, with a, you know, with this situation that has disrupted progress to a certain extent. And so I think it's something that, that should be front of mind. And I think it's something that we're going to need to work through. Uh, I think there's still a lot of questions because we're not, you know, whatever the new normal is, we're still not there yet. Um, so it's just something I was curious to get your thoughts on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a simple example, but it, it hit home for me, um, you know, in, in the time that my daughter was doing e-learning, which is horrible for a five-year-old. <laughs> it's like, these two things do not go together. But um, my husband wakes up, makes his coffee and goes out the door and I have meetings starting at 8 a.m., you know, and, and so I had to sit down and have a talk with him. Look, we have to bear this together and we have to make a strategy. We need to, to, to plan this out because for me to, to take on full assumed responsibility for the childcare duties during this time it won't work. And I was thankful, you know, he, he needed to hear that because he's like, you're right. I just, I'm a creature of habit. I didn't think about the fact that she was even <laughs> right and what your day looks like. So communication is key too. So I think we touched on this a little bit, but in terms of equal representation of, of women in leadership roles, when you think back to the beginning of your career to now, have you seen any progress made? I mean, like how much work is still left to do? I know we have a lot of work to do, but just curious, yeah. you know, the difference between when you started your career now. I am optimistic about um, the progress that's being made. I mean, I think back then the the term was the glass ceiling, right? And I think we've got a lot of role models and positive examples of people that are in senior leadership um, positions. So I'm an optimist. I think we have made good progress. I think that there's, you know, with any underrepresented or marginalized group, though, um, a little bit of progress is never enough. We have to continue um, to advocate for those groups and create, um, you know, the case for change, but also just put Put real concrete actions in place to show the change and to, to welcome those groups into the organization. 
Well, unfortunately, I I think our time is winding down. I feel like this is one of those conversations that we could just keep going and going and going. Um, but we promised that we wouldn't take much more than an hour of your time. And so um, I just have a few more questions before we, we close up our conversation for, for today. Um, okay. A few questions that I, I love asking um, our guests, you know, what are, what are the three or four metrics that you are, that you constantly obsess about as a CHRO? Yeah. Um, it, it kind of changes based upon what you're seeing in the business. Um, for us, after COVID, attracting hourly workers has become difficult with the enhanced unemployment and stimulus dollars. There's been some people that, you know, they, they aren't ready to enter back into the workforce. And so that's how do you attract and get talent in, in the door during also a time that people might be afraid to work in a frontline hourly role. So uh, vacancy rate, um, labor hours per guest, uh, efficiency rates. Um, those are things that I think are more important than ever, but then also how do I decrease that time to fill and, and what's the best pipeline? How do we get creative and look at sources that we haven't you know, used before or continue to build our employment brand to build awareness that we're hiring and, and what a great place we are to be. Love it. Love it. Those are all great things. And uh, I think the key thing is being fluid in that and, and not being too focused on any, you know, any three specific, it's like, what is most relevant, you know, for our business today? Um, yep. My next question is a two-part question. So what is the best career advice you've ever received? And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Well, the worst would be, you know, stay in your lane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you shouldn't stay in your lane, obviously, for so many reasons, but to, to really, truly contribute and add value to a business, you've got to be curious. In order to be curious, you've got to ask questions and get to understand how that business works inside and out. And only when you have that understanding, I think, will, will you be able to contribute to the long-term success and really be viewed as a valued business leader, leader and partner versus a tactician. Um, and then some of the best, and I, I like to keep things really simple, um, is, you know, feedback is a gift. Um, we talk about that to all of our teammates and our hourly employees. And I'm, I remember, you know, being younger and being a perfectionist and getting feedback and thinking, and then you, you automatically like, well, and you kind of want to get defensive. I have done this, but I have like, you want to read the facts. And, and that's, um, if, if you do that, you won't get feedback again. So feedback is a gift. Listen to it. There's a reason that that perception is there. And if you don't agree with it, and it is a perception, then you prove them wrong. You know, come, come back with facts and data and, and clearly you have an opportunity to articulate yourself a little bit differently or to change your approach, to change a perception. So feedback as a gift is probably the, the best advice I can give. Feedback is such, it's, it's, it's an invaluable gift. Like that, that is so, so true. Like the way it was worded to me was, there's always truth in feedback. It's right. whether, whether or not, Stephen, you choose to see it. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what? And, and it took me more experience to understand exactly what that meant. But I, yeah. I think that's sage advice. 
just that was that was a big topic of of discussion in our last episode and i think one of the points that was made was it's not your manager picking on you it's them coaching you and giving you feedback so you could be better in your career and right yeah i took a little note when when our last guy said that <laughs> Yeah, and if you're so, defensive, then you know, then you'll get iced out, and you won't get that feedback, which is a much worse place to be. Yeah, you. No one wants to be labeled not coachable or not able, not able to play. You know, play with the team for sure. Um, and so, my last question for you is just our standard last question. So, who is, uh, if you were to nominate, in the spirit of mod, being a modern people leader, if you were to nominate one person uh, that you think we should talk to, who would that be? I've made a new friend recently, um, Rihanna Barr. She's at Kishko. She's a um, really modern CHRO. Um, we have a group of CHROs that um, you know that we like to bounce ideas off of, and it's been invaluable. And I kind of forgot because it does get a little bit lonely at the top if you don't kind of form a coalition or schedule that time in advance, even if it's thirty minutes a month to network with peers or just no set agenda. You know, what are you guys working on? Are you stuck with anything? What are you doing for International Women's Day? I mean, just, you know, basic topics. Um, the feedback and, and the alignment that I've gotten, you know, from her and, and that group has been incredibly helpful. So yeah, she'd be great. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. Dilshan did not lie. You did not disappoint. This has been a lot of fun and it's been an amazing conversation. I'm glad that, uh, that you agreed to join us today. So thanks again. Well, thank you guys. And thank you, of course, to Dilshan for recommending me. He's a wonderful peer. I, I respect and admire him so much. And he's a wonderful human being too, a wonderful family man. So great connection. Pleased to have had this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.